This is Putting Numbers to Work from MetLife, where complex data from the benefits landscape is distilled into lessons employers can immediately put into action. Now here's your host, Marcus Smallwood. Welcome to MetLife's podcast, Putting Numbers to Work, where experts take complex ideas from across the benefit research landscape and distill them into lessons employers can put into action. Hi there, I'm Marcus Smallwood, Regional Vice President for Group Benefits here at MetLife. Now, HR professionals, they're inundated with new stories and emerging trends that help predict radical shifts in employee expectations and how organizations need to change to stay competitive. It's hard to know who to trust, what's hype, what's real, and what's going to have an impact. This show will give you the data, confidence, and practical advice you need to help stay competitive and build a stronger, more productive, and holistically healthy workforce. Today, I am speaking with Dan Schabel, a New York Times bestselling author, workplace researcher, and career expert. Now, Dan and I will discuss what a social and supportive culture looks like, what makes a supportive manager, how employers can develop or implement a social and supportive culture in the workplace, and much, much more. So Dan, welcome to our episode today. We're really excited for you to be with us. It's so great to be here. One out of every 10 people say my last name correctly, so kudos to you. <laughs> well, hey, I'm glad I got it right, and I'll, I'm very excited for the show today. And I thought we would kick things off by maybe just you telling us a little bit about yourself, what really jump-started your interest in studying the workplace trends, and really what point in your life did you realize you wanted to center your career around the ever-changing work environment? Well, truthfully, I've been working since I was 13 years old. My first internship was cold calling in high school senior year. And then during college, aside from taking the typical business classes, because I did undergrad business school, I had seven more internships. I had my first small business doing website design and development sophomore year. And then I graduated and worked for a company called EMC, which was eventually acquired by Dell. I worked there for three and a half years. The last job I had there, I got to create. It was one of the first ever social media positions. And it's really based on understanding how to build a career and build a personal brand. So the first third of my career was on personal branding, especially using all those social tools like LinkedIn, for instance. But I also realized something at the same time. I'm like, okay, well, I clearly have understood my career management, but what about the employer brand side? So I did a lot of that at EMC, and I realized that employee experience, company culture, supportive managers, much of what we're talking about today is reshaping the workplace landscape, and that I could be both a kind of a champion of the worker to help them succeed in the workplace, whereas connects to a lot of my books but also be an advisor to organizations, namely the C-suite and HR leaders and managers to help them create a more humane, supportive workplace, which ties directly into the themes today, which is really great. And actually, in terms of the themes that we focus on now, based on where the demand and interest is, this is definitely one of the three biggest ones, which kind of falls under well-being, flexible work and benefits, but also we are looking a lot into AI and the implications of all this new technology in the workforce. So it's a really big deal and something that's on the top of mind for everyone. Well, I'll tell you, you had me at, you started your, got in the workforce at 13. I thought I'd beat everyone. I started at 14 years old, but 13 is impressive. 
And we are really going to benefit from your career journey and what you've learned over the years and, and where you're at today. I, I'm sure that you are a hot commodity right now because this is a very important discussion. And I have to say, so you're the right guest for our discussion today. So MetLife, we love talking about the evolving workplace. And beforehand, we had talked a little bit about we release our annual employee benefit trend study that explores the latest trends in workplace dynamics and employer-employee relationships. And our 2023 report identified social and supportive cultures as a core element of employee care experience. And that employers who use culture as a way to demonstrate care for employees will boost employees' happiness and job satisfaction. And we know that happy employee becomes a loyal employee and that loyalty turns into greater productivity. Who doesn't love that? So today we're going to focus on the importance of fostering this culture But let's start more broadly, Dan. What does a social and supportive culture look like to you? Well, it's a great topic. And it really got brought to my attention many years ago when there was a New York Times cover story written by Charles Duhigg that focused on Project Aristotle, which was Google's experiment to figure out what makes successful teams. And they found that the key indicator, the key atmosphere and culture, as you're trying to talk about right now, is psychological safety, which is really what this gets down to. It's if people feel supported in the workplace, they're more likely to share ideas, be themselves, take risks. And those are the type of behaviors that create more engagement, retention, productivity, and innovation that really carries a company forward, especially, of course, Google and various other companies as well. And so I think that this is a huge topic now, especially in a time coming out of COVID where safety and support are some of the bigger themes that people have prioritized when it comes to employee benefits, company culture, et cetera. So one of the most interesting things that I found over the past even three or four years studying the workplace, and I've led by end of this year, will be 72 research studies. So I'm pretty proud of that. But what I found is that the things that people ranked in terms of criteria for what company that they're looking to work for or stay with, the things that they rank now are slightly different than they were before COVID. So the things like you know well-being, safety, a supportive culture, these type of things are much higher and they weigh much more because it's almost like all these things were taken for granted before COVID. And now they're front and center. It almost like goes back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, safety, support, well-being. These things are so important. And now they're on everyone's mind all of the time. And so companies that focus on creating these better, healthier cultures are going to have positive implications and impacts to the bottom line. Well, I love this. And our study supports everything that you're saying, right? You mentioned safety several times. And I would agree at a basic level, a strong culture starts with providing a safe and comfortable work environment for employees. And our study found that the majority of workers say that a safe and comfortable work environment is a must have, right? It's a non-negotiable. You know, it's a way for their employer to demonstrate care for them. And it doesn't really differentiate too much between on-site workers and hybrid or remote employees, right? They feel the same. So Dan, why might this be and how can employers foster a safe and comfortable environment even when employees aren't in the office? Yeah, it's a really, really timely discussion because more employers have pushed employees back into the office, at least part-time. 
in the most common work environment right now is hybrid. And I believe hybrid for most companies and most people will win out because it's the best of both worlds. And it's like a truce between labor and employer meeting kind of halfway in the middle in most circumstances. So I do see that winning out for most. And if you look at where people are working at right now, hybrid is the most popular at just over 50% of workforces and spaces. So I think that that's really important, knowing that people are working in different spaces and it doesn't always have to be an office, could be an office, could be at home, could be a coffee shop, could be a co-working spaces, different ways in which people work based on their own kind of preferences and where they get work done and proximity to offices and spaces. And wherever people are, people want to feel included. They want a sense of belonging. They want to feel like they're given equal opportunity, even though potentially working remote versus not being in close proximity to maybe their manager who's in the office, for instance. So I think fairness is important. I think good management. One of the things I interviewed a ton of managers pre-COVID because my third book, Back to Human, How Great Leaders Create Connection in the Age of Isolation, I interviewed 100 leaders. And so I found what are these strategies? How are people being able to show support? And one of the things that really stood out by an executive at a big company was to empower remote workers or even hybrid workers to lead meetings. And at the time, I'm like, wow, like that's such a great idea. I didn't even think of that. But it makes perfect sense because normally if you work remote, whereas others or other teammates are in the office, you might feel disconnected. You might feel like you don't have as much of a say or not empowered, but that immediately empowers you and puts you in a better position, even though you are not in proximity to maybe your teammates. So it's these little, little things that can really shape and support and create a good company culture for everyone. Yeah, I love that. You know, and those little things can go a long way, especially with, you know, those individuals that even though they may not be in the room, to your example, that they have a purpose, that they matter, and that they're connected to everyone, no matter where they are in their work environment. I like to add in one thing too, which is really interesting that we saw in the past three years is people speaking more emotionally, especially managers. And I know we'll get to that as well, saying, you know, how are you feeling? How are you doing? What's wrong? What's going right? Having more of these kind of emotional human conversations, especially in a hybrid workplace where it's not like you can walk over and noticeably see and feel how someone's feeling or doing. So I think that over communicating, but also really being more human and really seeing where are people's roadblocks, how are they feeling? Those type of conversations are much more abundant now. Yeah. And I call those like meaningful check-ins and being really honest when you're asking the question. Look, I live in California and most people in California say, hey, how's it going? Right. You just expect to hear good. Right. Now in the South, when they say, hey, how you doing? And you just say good. They're like, no, no, I really want to know how you're doing. They want to get to the root of how your day is going. And so I like how you said that those meaningful check-ins with the team and making sure that they know that you really care and getting to know them can have a great impact on how they feel about being supported in the organization. So Dan, I would say like one major consideration for employers who want to create social and supportive cultures is that different groups within the workplace have different interests and priorities. So how might different demographics feel about social and being supported at work? Well, there's a lot of great research that MetLife has put out in this area when thinking about diverse employee populations. One of the things is that men are more likely to prioritize their relationships than other colleagues. Women place more value on recognition at work. Recognition is 
and continues to be very important, especially in a hybrid workplace where sometimes you might not feel like you belong. Sometimes you feel like people might not be paying attention to you or you're getting the same opportunities. Recognition can really be beneficial in that area. And then Gen X is looking for safe and comfortable work environments as well. So there's a lot of populations that can benefit from this. One of the things that we study and one of my favorite topics, especially coming out of COVID, is employee voice. And not all employee voices are heard equally or in the way in which they want to be heard. And when I say employee voice, I mean not just someone taking a survey, but actual action that follows that. So if someone's like, we all think that we need this benefit, for instance, the employer saying, oh, we've heard that you might want this benefit or you want an hour off every Friday or whatever it might be. And here's what we can do about it if we can do anything. So I think that that's where a lot of this conversation is going as well, is to have more transparency and a better connection between employer and employee. Yeah, I love that. It's so critically important if you're going to ask for feedback from your employees that you ask for the feedback that now they've taken the time to give it to you and they're expecting to hear like, hey, what are we going to do with the feedback? What's the next action steps? And that really shows that the organization is listening and taking the insight they're getting from their teams and putting them into action. And based on what everything you've said so far too, it's this whole idea of instead of doing annual performance reviews or annual employee satisfaction surveys, it's more about pulse surveys or intimate conversations where you're collecting or giving feedback more regularly. We live in a world where people have no patience, but also people want instant gratification. And so they want to know how they did after a meeting. They don't want to wait a year to figure out how they did after one meeting that happened eight months ago. So the expectation, especially for younger workers, is more frequent feedback. And so when you think of employee voice, it's taking some of that feedback, using it to maybe help them, but also to create a better, more humane culture. Yeah, it's true. And you know, what we're hearing from some of the younger generations is that feedback is a gift and they're clamoring for it and they're looking for ways to grow in, in meaningful ways. Now, look, we've talked a little bit about managers and a key element of fostering social and supportive culture is an organization's managers. And 70% of this year's survey respondents say that a supportive manager is a must-have, right? And it helps to demonstrate and care. And now, fortunately, what we've seen, though, in the survey was 75% of workers say that their manager is supported. So that's a good thing. So in your opinion, Dan, what makes a manager supportive? This is such a big topic. We did a study last year that found that when you think about well-being, mental health, all these big, important health-related type topics, employees value their manager just as much as their spouse. So both their manager and their spouse make the same impact on their overall well-being at work, which is, it's a big finding, but it just shows you people spend so much time with their manager and at work. A third of your day is working, a third of your day is not working, and a third of your day is sleeping on average. And so if you have a toxic manager or your manager doesn't create a supportive environment where you can be yourself, you can share ideas, you can thrive, that's going to have a tremendous negative impact on your work day, which means it has a tremendous negative impact on your entire day. So what happens at work can affect your personal life and vice versa, right? And so I think managers, in many cases, of course, like the stat you have that 75% of workers say managers are supportive, which is a great thing. I think we had something similar in our study a few years ago too, right? In the beginning of COVID. And I think we should get that number to 100%. 
right? Because I think that that's a huge aspect of employee experience is to have a manager that is very supportive because they can facilitate a strong culture and demonstrate care. So yes, most of my courses are focused on helping managers because they're kind of an untapped group of people that can have such a huge impact. It's almost like If you're a consumer, you know, the people who you meet and interact with when you're at the cash register trying to check out, they can have a huge impact. Your waiter at a restaurant, they're kind of like the front line that can have a huge impact in your customer experience, much like your manager, the people you interact with every day, and even your coworkers can have a huge impact on your employee experience. So I think that there is a parallel there from an experience standpoint. Right. And, you know, I mean, look, we've seen the great resignation and employees shifting their thoughts on what's important in, in their work life. And then you've seen these companies that are putting this huge focus on attracting top talent. And then even more importantly, how do you keep those folks in your organization over time? And to the things that you, you've alluded to, you know, having the right manager that can really put that emphasis of care on the employees and be supportive goes a long way to those retention efforts. So Dan, let's shift gears here. Let's talk about the actual managers themselves. And unfortunately though, managers' own needs are often forgotten about. And in fact, our 2023 Employee Benefits Trend Study, we see that compared to their non-manager counterparts, Managers are more likely to be caregivers for children under 18. They prioritize factors other than compensation as their top driver for employee care. And they're interested in additional flexibility to learn new technologies and build their professional network. So the question is, how can employers ensure their managers feel supported themselves and that they're given the support they need to manage others? Yeah, it's a great topic and it really maps to everything that we've done over the years too, where the higher up you go from a organizational hierarchy standpoint, the more people suffer from bad well-being. And it's interesting because the perception is always, oh, well, you're a manager, you're, you know, you have more responsibilities, you're getting paid more. But the reality is more responsibilities typically means that there's more challenges and more stress that come with that. And that is Typically, especially from people just starting out their career, it's kind of a misnomer and they, they don't recognize that that's an issue. And so, yeah, I think managers need more, you know, if you want managers to care more for their employees, the organization has to care more for managers. I think everything we're talking about is interrelated. So if people are happier, they're going to be more productive. If they're healthier, they're going to be more productive. Like, and all of those metrics yield higher retention and other positive outcomes. So it's all interrelated. They're reporting more stress having more burnout because they're managing more and managing in a hybrid workplace, which is, it's not like you go to college and there's a class that says managing hybrid 101. This is all very new. And that also creates stress, confusion, especially with a lot of organizations now saying, hey, we're going to do three days a week at work, or they're kind of changing their structures and policies now because of the economy and, and changes in market. So I think that there's huge challenges and managers oftentimes have to feel the burden. And you see HR managers are the ones who kind of support them with the policies, the know-how, typically the training. But managers at the end of the day, a lot of it rests in their hands. They have a huge amount of control and impact on employee experience and creating these positive, healthy cultures, supportive cultures that we're talking about here. Yeah, I love that. So look, we've given our listeners a lot to think about today. And if there's an employer out there and they're looking to implement a change to their approach to a supportive culture, and that employer was thinking of a one-size-fits-all approach, maybe share what the risk would be to that. 
And if there's employees out there that don't feel supported in the workplace, who should they talk to? So basically, one of the things that's in common with all the biggest CEOs in the world that came out just around the 2021 timeframe coming out of the first year of COVID, they pretty much all said the same thing. They said, there's no one size fits all model. So I kind of have to go with that. And it makes sense because different employee populations in terms of diversity, some workers have to be in the office because maybe they work in a warehouse. Some companies are obviously operating in different countries, different business functions, different employee preferences. I've studied different employee populations, especially when it comes to generations. And what we found is a lot of the things that might separate generations really come down to what people are looking for at different times in their life. Like you were saying earlier, you know, a lot of managers need childcare and different benefits and support in that respect because they're at the age in the generation, a lot of, you know, older millennials, Gen X, where they have kids. So I think that that has to be a factor as well. So I think that, again, I think employee benefits continues to be a really important thing that employers need to focus on and especially like customize per where people are in their lives. But going back to what we say too, is you can't just hope that your managers are supported. You have to, you know, give them training. You have to give them what they want. You have to have these conversations to really extract, you know, what would make their lives easier. Because once you do that, they're going to transfer that onto their teams. Yeah, I love that. And I'm thinking too, for those employees that may not feel supported in the workplace, I would hope that there's someone in the organization that you trust, whether that be your manager, an HR professional, or someone, a leader in the organization that you could trust and go to and express your needs to them as well. So Dan, we've given a lot for employers to think about. Let's conclude with the main takeaways for our listeners. So how can employers implement or take time to further develop a social and supportive culture in the workplace? I think the number one thing you do, which we've mentioned, is establish a culture of listening. Listening from a qualitative and quantitative perspective. I'm biased as someone who does research and thousands of interviews as well. It's have these one-on-one conversations with your team, figuring out what their roadblocks are, how they're feeling, the things that we said, but also really understanding the needs of the organization, what the organization needs, and try and see what you can do that makes the most sense. Training managers as well to deal with employees who might be suffering, but also the manager's managers to make sure that they're supported as well. Establishing the right policies, I think is really important. Creating a culture of I always say culture of learning, but also a culture of recognition to make sure that wherever people are working at their home, at a co-working space, a coffee shop, that they feel like they belong, that it is a safe culture, even where they are as well, that they're set up in their environment to succeed and that their team and manager care about their success and well-being. I think that's really critical when we think about the future of organizations much like organizations are being scrutinized when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, they will also be scrutinized on the well-being and health of their workforce. It's something I study and it's something I spend a lot of time on because when people are evaluating companies from a consumer or employment perspective, they're saying, you know, what is this company doing to support their employees and their managers, but also what are they doing to support their communities and maybe the greater world that we live in? So I think that there's a ton of opportunities to kind of do the right thing, but you know, you got to start small. And if you're a manager, starting small is those daily interactions or having more interactions with your teammates. And then, you know, establish like you were saying, 
trust is the most valuable asset within an organization. It's the biggest study I did in 2020 was on trust. And it turned out that a lot of, just like you found that all this about managers, we found that about trust is that a lot of organizations are trusted. And that trust can be a huge asset, especially if you're going through difficult times, because if your employees trust you based on having transparent communication, having a safe and secure culture and environment, they're more likely to stay with you during those tough times. And there will always be challenges. I love it. Dan, you've been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for your time today and sharing your thoughts. It has been a pleasure having this conversation with you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. So that's all that we have for today's episode. I want to again thank Dan for joining us today to discuss what goes into cultivating social and supportive work cultures. Now, if you've enjoyed the conversation, make sure that you subscribe to Putting Numbers to Work and leave us a review. Tell us what you'd like. We'd love to hear from you. Again, I'm Marcus Smallwood, and this has been Putting Numbers to Work, presented by MetLife.